How's it going? It's going good? Thank you, Riley. <laughs> All right. Let's get into it. We're going to be continuing our series uh, in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount. We named this series uh, Life Worth Living, because that's what Jesus is describing to us here. It's what he's describing to his audience then. Uh, they had a belief that they um, could be justified through the law um, and have just stumbled into all kinds of misapplications of that law. And Jesus is here to both fulfill that law um, and correct, and correct. And so that's what we see tonight. Uh, if you haven't met me before, uh, my name's Caleb. I'd love to meet you. Uh, and I'm just really glad to be here tonight. I'm really glad that you guys are here. I'm really glad that we get to open up the word. That's always a really exciting thing. Um, little update for you. My wife and I, we recently bought a house. All right, yeah, yeah, a house. Come on. Um, we bought a house. It's awesome, really great. Love the house. My commute used to be 30 minutes. Uh, it's now five, five whole minutes. Uh, so instead of, you know, it does leave me less podcast time, though, you know, like that 30-minute commute. But trade it any time. Uh, you know, our house is old. It's built in 1917. It's beautiful. It's got character. As my wife would say, the character. Part of that character is that there's actually a little bit of water in the basement right now. Um, I don't love that. It's pretty cute. It's pretty, pretty cute to have some water in the basement. Uh, <laughs> no, but if you, if you walked into our home, you would see that it's, it's beautiful, right? Like the, there is character. I'm, it's true. Um, and it's decorated really well. My wife is incredible um, at interior design. Sid is, is really talented. Some of the rooms are finished. Some of the rooms are not finished. Our dining room right now has uh, a family heirloom. Uh, my grandma's card table. Um, so it has my grandma's card table there. The dining room is not yet finished, but there are some rooms that are finished. And if you walk up the stairs, uh, you would see an office, you know, right to your right. And you'd walk in that office and you'd see two guitars hanging on the wall, two. And I actually own more than two guitars, uh, but my wife said that if there's more than two guitars on the wall, then it's not an office anymore, it's a guitar room. And we did not agree on a guitar room. <laughs> so two, two. We stay with two. Uh, and you're also maybe asking yourself, like, this guy plays guitar? OK. Didn't see him get off stage. That, that's a different Caleb who plays that one. Um, so what's going on here? And the, the backstory in this is I actually owned a guitar for many, many years before you could ever call me a guitar player, all right? Um, when I first got the guitar, I had a lot of thoughts about that would, what that would be like, that I would be, you know, anytime there's a bonfire, that I would be playing the guitar around it, right? And then people would be singing. It would be great. Um, and that was enough motivation for me to spend 100 bucks on a guitar, uh, which felt like a lot of money at the time, still a lot of money. Um, and I practiced for a whole two weeks whole two weeks on that guitar, uh, and I got like part of one song. It's pretty impressive, right? And then the guitar went 
not on the wall. Uh, it went in the corner to collect dust. Uh, and you're wondering, like, hmm. First of all, maybe this story is familiar to you. Maybe it's not. Uh, but you're wondering, what, what happened? What happened there? Uh, and when you think about it, and when I think about it, I can tell you this is true. I didn't want to be a guitar player. I didn't. Uh, I wanted people to see me as a guitar player. Right? I didn't want to be a guitar player. I just wanted to be that guy. All right? I wanted to be the dude who could play the guitar, and everybody would start singing. Uh, and I wanted them to be impressed with me. Right? So I didn't want to be a guitar player. I just wanted to be known as the guy who could play guitar. Um, and you saw how long that lasted, right? Two weeks, guitar in the corner. Here's the thing. It wasn't until much later that I picked up um, a guitar and actually loved just playing it on my own with no campfire agenda um, that I actually learned it, that I actually learned how to play. Um, and honestly, like, I'm barely a guitar player. I am, like, okay. Um, but I don't play it for anyone, usually, but I do frequently because I just love it and it's just for me, right? Now, I was so focused. I was so focused on being seen as a guitar player that I never even considered my reasons behind it and why two weeks was all the time I could give to it. I think we have something similar going on in our text today. So we're going to be in Matthew 6 is where we're at. If you have your Bibles open, um, that is great. We're going to start reading here. So, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Whoa, pause, right? Like sometimes you're, you're reading the Bible and you come across something that shocking. It warrants you to go back and say, what did I just read? Uh, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Did I read that right? Like, when you see something like this that shocks you, even if it's verse 1, take a moment. And sometimes this does happen that, that we get this right off the bat. Here's what Jesus is saying to us in verse 1. He's saying, righteous acts that are motivated by the approvals of others others. They receive no approval from the Father. These righteous acts that are done so that others would see them, so that others would see those actions, those don't receive any reward from the Father. And what does this mean? This means that somebody can go their whole life getting approval from people even for things like righteous acts. And they can never receive approval from God. Somebody could go their entire life and receive all the approval and all the praise and recognition for righteous acts that we're going to see, and yet somehow they don't receive the reward from the Father. So let's keep going. Let's keep trying to understand this, because that's one thing to say, it's another thing to understand. We'll continue. 
Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up, heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Did you see it, guys? Did you see what Jesus is pointing out for us? I think that we can summarize it like this, that authentic intentions outweigh counterfeit actions. Right? This hypocrite that's described in both of those examples They're receiving their reward from counterfeit actions. They're getting attention and praise from the people around them, but we're calling it counterfeit for a reason, okay? They put on the image of righteousness, but they actually have no care for it. They put on the show of righteousness, but they don't even care what righteousness is. It's about being seen. And this will probably help us tonight. Um, Let's get a definition of righteousness. What does righteousness mean, right? how many of you frequently use the word righteousness? That come up? Ever give it a righteous dude? Any of that? Yeah? Anyone? Oh, some people using righteous over here, big time. Okay, so what does this mean? Right? We see righteousness, and it's a word that we think we have just a good enough idea of that we'll keep reading, uh, but maybe we didn't understand it. So you might think, oh, righteousness means, oh, it's good or it's right, or maybe it's moral, right? Those sound correct, Uh, and they're on the right track. Some translations use um, the term right actions, okay? And that's going in the right direction, too. Um, To be righteous means simply to be in right relationship with God. To be righteous is to be in right relationship with God. Um, So practicing righteousness Being righteous is just recognizing who God is, recognizing who you are, and then acting accordingly. Um, And to simplify it even more, practicing righteousness is taking actions that are acceptable to God. Take actions that are acceptable to God. And so let's think about this again. Why do we call the hypocrites' actions counterfeit? Why are they counterfeit? The hypocrite seeks to act out righteousness, but he's confused about its purpose. He's taken something that's meant to be about God. We talked righteousness is acceptable acts to God, for God. And he's taken these things that are meant to be about God, and he's managed to make it about him. He's managed to make it about him. He's a spiritual fake, and God won't reward it. It's counterfeit righteousness and spiritual fakery, and God will not reward it. So, he, Jesus tells us though, what will be rewarded in both examples. It's the one who acts out righteousness, 
in secret when nobody but God can see him. That's who gets the reward. But what, what's the reward? What is the reward? Jesus is, he's pretty clear on the reward that the hypocrite gets, right? The hypocrite acts out righteousness. People see him, they praise him, and that's all he'll ever get. Seen, praised, receives approval from men. That's all he'll ever get. But what is this other reward? What's this reward that comes from God, right? Let's look at what we know so far. There's a couple of things surrounding this reward. Maybe it'll help us track it down. Um, the reward hey, comes from God. It's happening in secret both the times we've seen it. He's seeing you. Right? Happening in secret where only God can see you. And it happens when we're doing things like giving to the needy or praying or also see fasting. And let me just read that section for us real quick and get us up to speed. So this is Matthew 6, 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. And truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So we see that same thing. Are we familiar with fasting, right? Like, here's, here's the spark notes on fasting. Some of you might have an idea about it. You're going, it's got something to do with not eating, um, and we, we do it sometimes. I don't know why. Um, here's the spark notes on fasting. It's giving something up. It's giving something up. It is usually food, but it doesn't have to be food. It's giving something up in order to interrupt your life and draw near to God. Right? You're interrupting your life. You're taking something that you do all the time, every day. I can't tell you where you're going to be in 2028, but I can tell you you're probably going to eat. Right? So this is a rhythm of your life. You interrupt it for the purpose of drawing near to God. Think about it. Like You and I, we're always, if we want to change our ideas about something or change our hearts, we're always trying to intake information through our heads. And we go from our heads, and we think that'll eventually change our hearts. Think about fasting as you're going through your stomach to try and get at your heart, and you're trying to draw nearer to God. And if you want to know more about, we could talk about fasting the whole time, guys. We really could. Uh, we actually already did that, though. We did that in April. Jordan gave a message on fasting. If you're curious about fasting, if you're curious about the significance, if you don't um, understand it or know why you should practice it, go in and listen to that message. Um, you just go on the Spotify, Salt Company, Cedar Rapids, April, right there. So it's really important, though, that we saw the same thing in all three of these examples. And let's just think about fasting for a moment. Right? It's interrupting your life. You're seeking God. But do you know what has the potential to knock that completely off track? Maybe it would be if you were making fasting 
not about seeking God, but about seeking the approval of others. It defeats it. It defeats the point. So how can you do things to pursue intimacy with God if what you really want is the approval and attention of other people? In that model, you're going to fail to love God every single time and pursue something less every single time. So here's the next point. Inward intimacy outweighs outward approval. Inward intimacy outweighs outward approval. I still haven't answered what the reward is. The reward is a rich relationship with God. It's intimacy, all right? Intimacy, rich relationship. And for a Christian, we should want this. We should want the reward of a relationship with the Father. Jesus actually died so that this could be possible for us, so that we could even call the Father the Father, that we could be adopted, right? The reward is rich relationship and intimacy with him. Now, here's a question. Why has it got to be in secret, right? The reward of rich relationship and intimacy with God, but why in all three of these examples do we see it in secret? So I think there's two reasons that Jesus emphasizes the secrecy that we see. First, I think that the secrecy helps us to tell where our heart is at. It helps us to tell why we are doing the things that we are doing. God tells us through his prophet in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Our hearts have a really big problem. They lie to us. They're deceitful and they're sick. Who can understand it? I can't. I don't think you can. But God can. Right? God can understand it. And Jesus, who is God, is telling you a way to understand where your heart is at. You can tell if you are not doing something for the approval of other people if they don't see you and they don't know about it. How can you be approved of by other people if they don't know it's happening and you don't tell them? Right? So you're testing your heart. Guys, our hearts are deceitful and we crave the approval of others. We want it. Right? This is why, like, a month ago, a month ago, I started reading up a lot about prayer. Um, and I decided, oh, man, those people that are, that are praying really well, they, uh, they have a special place that they go to. They have a special place that they always go to to pray. I'm going to do that. I'm going to create a holy place, a holy ground. And so I set a place uh, in this church a special prayer place. Um, and by the end of the week, like I told like three to five people about it. <laughs> right? It's a secret prayer space. And of course, I didn't tell them where it was. But I'm, I'm praying here in secret in Veritas. Why did I do that? Why? It's a secret prayer spot. Secrets in the name. You guys, I told them about it because I wanted them to think I was good. 
I really, really wanted them to think I was good. And this just like flows out of us. Like some of us even feel like if I don't, nobody knows about what I was doing, what was the point? It's a dangerous place to be. But this is in all of us. This is in all of us. We desire the approval of people. We want them to think that we're good. And this makes more sense than ever. This makes more sense than ever. We already have that desire to want to be seen by others. Uh, it's in us. It was in people in Jesus' time, and it's in us today. But now we have something different. We have a platform to be seen and praised by more people than ever before. Right? You guys know what I'm talking about. We can be seen by everyone using social media, and we have measurements to tell how good we did, how many likes and comments you received. So, we do the exact same thing that the hypocrites do, all right? We play from under the mask, we make sure we support the right things, and that we say the right things, we vacation in the right places, and guys, we always make sure that we read our Bibles in the right coffee shop. Yeah, but guys... We have the capacity to be seen by more people than anybody in history, okay? And we use it for exactly the same purpose that the hypocrite uses the street corner. Exactly the same purpose. You know what it means when it says the street corner? It's exactly what it means. It's a corner. You maximize your audience. You got the people over here and the people over here. Knock them both out at the same time. You go to the corner. Maximum visibility for your righteousness, and we do it too. And this is a huge part of why secrecy is emphasized. It's a huge part to discern and tell, why am I doing what I'm doing? When you and I think, oh no, I'm doing this for the right reasons, and that people, they just happen to see me. Uh, well, maybe. That's possible. But if you did it alone and it was just you and God and you didn't tell a single person about it, you could be sure that you did it for just his eyes, for only him to see. Second reason that Jesus emphasizes secrecy is that private intimacy with the Father is important to him. Intimacy, rich relationship, in secret, in private, with the Father, it's important to him, right? Time alone with his Father, it's the lifeblood of Jesus' ministry. You see him doing it all the time. He never had to worry about his intentions, though. Like, we just went over how our intentions are tricky and our hearts are deceitful, but Jesus didn't have that, all right? He was perfectly obedient, he didn't need to go somewhere and discern his heart and tell that he was doing things for the right reasons. And yet, he's constantly doing this. He's constantly pursuing the Father in solitude and privacy. Just some examples of this. At the start of his ministry, if you go to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 135, it tells us, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Here's what's going on. 
Jesus has just started his ministry. He's just started performing miracles. He's gathered a few disciples. And what does he do? As the train is picking up steam, he leaves and he prays. So much so, his disciples don't even know where he's at. Like, they go searching for him after this, and they have trouble finding him, right? Another portion we see later in this same gospel in Matthew. This is Matthew 26, 36. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. What's going on here? Jesus, at this point, he's waiting for his arrest. He's waiting for his coming death to be put on trial, found guilty for something that he has not done, um, be committed and sentenced and murdered. That's what Jesus is preparing for, okay? He's preparing to die, and he's grief-ridden. And yet, he does the same thing that he did at the beginning of his ministry, and throughout his ministry, he seeks the Father. He seeks the Father in intimacy. And I think something that sums this up well, it's a quote um, from the late Timothy Keller. He used it in his book, Prayer. He's quoting a 17th century theologian named John Owen. Uh, great dude. <laughs> here's, here's what he says. Here's what John Owen says. A minister may fill his pews, his communion role, the mouths of the public, but what that minister is on his knees in secret before God Almighty, that he is and no more. That he is and no more. He's saying you can be a pastor, you can pack your entire church, you can feed and provide for the whole city, and yet that's not what defines you. That's not what defines you. Who you are in secret prayer in front of the Father is your definition. That is who you are, period. Whoa. I want to live it out. I want other people to see me. But he's saying, you can be this successful, and yet your definition, the base of who you are, the core of your being, your identity, is who you are before the Father in prayer. And Jesus knew this, and it's why he's telling us that the greater reward is the reward from the Father. We don't want to miss out on this. The temporary fleeting reward of people's approval and attention is nothing like the reward of intimacy with the Father, of rich relationship with the Father. You might be thinking at this point and be going, okay, Caleb, you've convinced me. I've resolved uh, to never pray or give or fast in public. I won't let anybody see me, uh, and I never really liked to do that anyway. <laughs> Praying in front of C group was pretty awkward, so I'm glad you've really absolved me of that one. Uh, <laughs> guys, think about it. Think about your motives here, all right? So, have you considered that maybe the very same reason that the hypocrites wanted to be seen might be the same reason that you don't? 
the approval of people, right? The hypocrites, they wanted to do something so that they would be thought well of. And you don't want to pray or do these things in public because it would mean you not being thought well of, okay? Just think about that, that what we actually have going on in both of these situations is a desire for the approval of others above the desire of the approval of God. Uh, and let me, just to kind of flush this out for us, let me read a section um, from a chapter that we have been through already. Jake preached on this a few weeks ago. This is Matthew 5, 14 through 16. So, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Shine before others. Right? So, wait. How can we practice in secret and also shine before others? What's going on here? Well, here's the key. The key is that last part. Did you catch it? that very, very last part, so that they may see your good works and to give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The purpose is for the glory of God in heaven. That's what we have going on here. That's the distinguishing point. The glory goes to him, not us. This is about having the kind of rich, inward, secret life in front of the Father that leads to an outwardly to an outward life that glorifies the father right having the kind of rich intimacy and relationship with god that it leads to outward glorification of him so let me say it like this uh your inward intimacy with the father it should mark your outward expressions of righteousness How you do righteousness should be marked, first and foremost, by who you are on your knees in front of God. Uh, Many of us, we want to be seen as humble, faithful, joyful, pick a couple others. Uh, But when we neglect to be those things in front of the Father in heaven in prayer, we actually miss out on their substance. We miss out on those things when we are not them in front of the Father in secret, and we end up not being those things at all, and instead we're hypocrites putting on an act. So, guys, I just want you to catch that the approval of others, the reward of the world to be seen and praised, it's going to go away. At best, you get it. And then you have your full reward, and it goes away. And I'm not even just talking like eternally it's not going to count. It won't. But I'm talking like five minutes later, you want more. Like between five minutes and 24 hours, you want it again. It's going away. But there is a better kind of reward. There's a better kind of reward. And you guys notice I didn't go through the Lord's Prayer section. 
of the teaching here. And it's because I want to read it over line by line for us and try to capture the beauty of this father who has this reward for us, that his reward is better and we don't want to miss out on it. So it starts with our father. Guys, we have a God who is a loving father. It says our father in heaven. A loving father, he's in heaven, and yet this is the same God who sent his son to leave heaven to die for us. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed means holy. Holy means set apart. You can think about that as completely different. He's completely different, distinct from his whole creation, us included. This is a high being. A high being, one who is above everyone and all things, And yet, you saw there in the verse, he gives his attention to you. He sees you, and he knows you. He knows your every need. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When Jesus talks about his preaching, he calls it the gospel of the kingdom. Through Jesus, that kingdom has been established. And it's one where tears, where all tears are going to be wiped away. God is establishing a kingdom, and through Christ Jesus, he's invited humans, us, to be a part of it. Give us our daily bread. This is a God who knows you. You don't need to heap up empty phrases or practice particular rituals or say just the right thing or quote just the right amount of scripture. He hears you and he knows you. He wants to be in relationship with you. He sees your needs. He sees your needs and what you need to survive each day, and he provides. And forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. The only way for any of us to be brought into this kingdom, to call God our Father, is for the massive debt of sin that we have against God to be forgiven. And he's done this. He has made a way for us if we would repent and believe and turn in faith to him. He's done this in Christ. He's made a way for us to be forgiven. And so how can we as people who've been forgiven like that hold back forgiveness from others? Right? And the final line says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's a God who's in control of the entire universe. Sovereign. We go to him for our security. And Jesus, he goes on to emphasize one part of this prayer after the Lord's Prayer. This is Matthew 6, 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Um, Guys, here's the point. If we have been forgiven through Jesus, we have been absolved of massive debt. We've been forgiven. And so we have no right to deny forgiveness to others. And if we refuse to forgive, then maybe we need to better understand what Christ has done for us. At the beginning today, I gave you um, a definition of righteousness, uh, and it was taking actions acceptable to God. But here's where that definition falls short. 
we actually have no thing acceptable to offer to God. All right? And Isaiah says that our, our good works, our righteousness is like filthy rags. So not even acts done with the right heart could please God with us in our sinful state. We were tainted and stained by sin, and we had nothing to present, even these attempts at righteous acts. But through faith in Jesus Christ and the justification that is available through him, we can now actually pursue righteousness, right? We can actually pursue righteousness, and the real pursuit of righteousness is pursuing the character of Christ. It is humbly seeking intimacy with the Father to live out a life that is glorifying to him. only possible through him, guys. It's only possible through him that we could actually present righteousness to God, and it's because he lived the perfect death, the perfect life. He died a death for us, and he rose to life so that we could be forgiven and justified and stand righteous before God, not because of anything we did, not because of any giving to the needy, praying or fasting, but because of what Jesus has done for us. This God, he sees you, and his reward for you, rich intimacy and relationship, it's better. It's better. Um, I have just a few steps of application for us, for how you guys should move out from tonight. Uh, first of all, what we went through, practice your righteousness in secret and, and don't tell anybody. All right? If you have a rich secret life with the Father, you'll actually have a rich outward life for his glory, all right? And this doesn't mean you can't talk uh, with your friends about what you read in the Bible, and this doesn't mean that you can't mention what God has been doing in your life, all right? But it is about cultivating a rich life with him, cultivating a rich life with God, in which case those acts of righteousness that you do in secret most of them probably it's just not important that other people know. If you're pursuing God like this, in secrecy, before only him, for the love of him, to develop deep relationship with him, it's just not important that people know. And so a lot of it they won't. The next thing I have is practice your righteousness in public, even when it's humiliating. You can tell your motives by practicing in secret. You can tell that if only God can see you, you are only doing it for him and not the approval of others. You know how else you can tell? If you're practicing righteousness in public, and it's humiliating because you know you didn't have the approval of others. And there are things that are we find humiliating, and not even in this um, intense way that we're going to be mocked and scorned, but just, am I going to do it right? When I pray in front of other people, am I going to say the right words? Am I going to be impressive? What are they going to think about me? And here's what I have to say to you. Their approval is not important. You have security in Christ. You are firmly secure in him. Okay? You can be humiliated or embarrassed. And if you are pursuing God in these ways, it was worth it. All right, guys.
that's all I've got for us. I'm going to lead us in prayer here. Um, Lord, to be seen and known by you is so beautiful, God. We thank you for your reward, Lord. We thank you that you are better, that you are better than any short-term approval that we could receive, Lord, that you are good, and that you've made a way for you to be called our Father through Christ. Amen.